It doesn't get me off the hook. <laughs> so, we're going to be in Luke chapter 20, if you will. <coughs> Excuse me. So, Luke chapter 20, we're actually going to continue on with the parables. Uh, as pastor has uh, started, uh, we're going to be looking at the wicked husbandman today. You know, and it's, uh, it's interesting. I was telling Caleb and a couple other people, I guess, today that I was like, I'm really torn on where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to do. And, uh, you know, you always hear preachers who get up here that are special messages. Well, you know, the, I was, this was where I was going to go. And the Lord really redirected me and sent me this way. And I'm like, how's that even happen? I know for me it happened because I had two lessons that were done. And I'm like, uh, indecisive. But anyways, as we get into this, Luke chapter 20, verses 19, 9 through 19 is going to be our passage. But as a way of introduction, I'm going to actually start off with that first. And then we'll get into reading it. You know, last week, Pastor went over talking about the scribes and Pharisees and how they were trying to corner Jesus and his authority. And they were questioning it, right? And they're like, what authority do you do this? And what authority are you bringing to, to do these miracles and preach and, and whatnot? And Christ, knowing their heart, what did he do? He just turned around and said, well, here, let me ask you a question. And he says, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? You know, and, and this is where truly the heart of the scribes and Pharisees come out. And in their conversation, even, they're like, hmm. and they reasoned with themselves, saying, if we shall say from heaven, it will say, why then believe ye not? That if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for they persuade, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. You know, and, and as you see in these people's lives, there is a little bit of a grip that they had, right? These these scribes and Pharisees and the chief priests, they 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 had a grip on the people. They had created all these rules and all these things that everybody was supposed to do. And well, you know, that, that lamb isn't good enough for sacrifice, so you got to buy my lamb at three times the price. Yeah, I mean, they, they had them. And almost, they had the people in a chokehold almost, if you will. And so as we take that thought process from last week and kind of carrying over into this parable of the wicked husbandman, um, it kind of, it, it brings a challenge um, to those who are religious and are not holding to the truth of the gospel. Um, and even as a child of God, it, it, it brings a challenge to us. And, you know, for the most part, this parable is more of a, I say informational. It's like breaking it down and just saying, you know, this is what it was said, and this is kind of what the meaning was behind it. 
but we're promised that God's word will not return void. And so if our hearts are in the right place and we're seeking for a nugget of truth for ourselves in God's word today, I guarantee you'll find something. Just pray that it's a blessing to your heart um, and that, again, the Lord is glorified in everything that's said and done. So let's go ahead and pray, and then uh, we'll, get, we'll start off on the reading of God's Word here. Precious Father, Lord, as we come to you, God, I just ask and pray that uh, you would set me aside. You know, as, as Pastor Humphrey was saying earlier, if you come to hear Pastor Dimlo or come to hear me, uh, then you come for the wrong reasons. Lord, I just pray that you would set me aside and that Christ would be lifted up that your Holy Spirit would have uh, preeminence in the things said and that um, the Word of God would be challenging to the hearts here today. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So in Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 19, we'll read down through that. It says, Then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, and let it forth to a husbandman, to husbandmen, multiples, and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season, he sent a servant to the husbandman that they should give him, give him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandman beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also. And entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. And again he sent a third. And they wounded him also and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be that they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, They reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy the vineyard of the... See, he shall come, he shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid... And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders reject, the same is become the corner, the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. So as we look into this uh, this parable today, um, there's two main characters, obviously. That are, that are brought out. You have the owner of the vineyard, the, the one who uh, planted the vineyard, and you have the husbandman. You have the servants as well, but the, the two main people that are pictured here are those. So we're going to look firstly at the vineyard. What, you know, what is the, the vineyard? What about, what's so significant about it? Well, you know, remembering that Christ was actually speaking to these people in parables. You know, the, the idea of this vineyard is, you read it, he 
is he's talking about the children of Israel, right? So he promised Abraham. I, I don't have to recount this, but we will just. He promised Abraham that he would make of him a great nation. And so, you know, you have Abraham and then you have Isaac and Abraham's going, where's this great nation going to come from? Because I only got one kid. Um, and, it, and next thing you know, we have a whole nation of Israel that's living in Egypt in bondage. And so God manipulates and he works and he takes the children of Israel out of Egypt through the desert. You know, they would have got to the promised land a whole lot quicker. But, you know, they, they, they wanted to argue and grumble. And, and, <laughs> and next thing you know, it's 40 years later, they're uh, making their trip. But the thing is, when God set them there, there were spiritual leaders that were put in place, right? You know, there were, there were priests, there were, you know, the Levites, they, they were the ones that bear the responsibility of, of making sure that worship was what it was supposed to be. Um, but these spiritual leaders, you know, again, by time Christ comes on the scene, they've come to a point where it's all about them. They've come to a point where, you know, they have their agenda. Like I said, they kind of had that chokehold on the people. Um, with that said, they got to a point where, you know, it's like they just weren't listening. And so why was Christ speaking to them in parables? Well, because if he gave them the truth, they didn't listen. You know, it's like the, the, um, the young man that was blind that Christ made whole. They asked him, and then he asked his parents, and the parents were like, I don't know, ask him. He's like, I don't know. All I know is I was blind, now I see. I mean, they were given the truth, and they refused to accept it, Right? And so, if we go over to Isaiah chapter 6, past Isaiah, go back past Isaiah again. I mean, there's 66 chapters in it. Shouldn't be too hard to find. Isaiah 6, verses 9 through 12, he says, and he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. So main thing I wanted to pull out there was that, you know, even in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, uh, we see where, you know, they're, they're going to be given the truth and they're just, they're not going to understand it. They're not going to take it in. Their ears are stopped. Uh, you know, and 
It's by their choice. You know, and you and I, even today, we have that option. I mean, we can, we can come to church and we can sit and listen to what's given. And it can go in one ear and out the other. You know, we have that option. Why am I here today? What is the, you know, I, I choose to be here. Well, some of us, some of the kids say, well, I had to come. Otherwise, you know, there were repercussions. But, you know, the idea is I choose to be in God's house today. What am I going to get from it? So then this certain man that, you know, planted the vineyard, placed men in charge. And, and, and that's where I want to go with this next piece is, you know, these men that were put in charge, they had a choice. And they could either do what was right or they could, again, fulfill their own agenda. The um, another verse to pull out, it would be Psalm 94, um, verses 3 through 14, talking about this um, heaviness of the ear and, you know, whatnot. But is we look at this, this parable, we see these wicked husbandmen seem to be triumphant. You know, it's like they seem to, to get whatever they want, regardless of what's right. So, you know, in, in the attitude that we can end up with is one that, like I said, David wrote in Psalm 94. He says, Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? How long is this going to last? How long shall they utterly speak hard things and the workers of iniquity boast themselves? They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Understand ye brutish among the people, and ye fools, when will ye be wise? He that planted the ear shall not hear. He that formeth the eye, shall he not see? He hath chastiseth the heathen, shall not he correct? He that teacheth man knowledge, shall not he know? The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. Blessed is the man who thou chasteneth, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law. So the idea is that, you know, as, as we sit there and look at the world around us and seeming like they're getting one ahead of everybody and their time is coming. You know, David, you know, he sit there in another psalm. He says, how long, Lord, how long? And then he recognized the end of their days. The lost, while on this earth seem to have everything that they want. They don't, you know, they're not restrained in anything. But the end of their days is what? Is hell. For the child of God, yes, sometimes it's like, you know, it would be nice to, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something that I would do on a Sunday other than being in the church. 
I don't know, go spend two weeks, including the weekends hunting. I, I, I don't know. I can't think of anything. My heart's here. But, you know, I mean, there's things, that, you know, would be, I guess, something that we could do. But the world doesn't have to worry about it. I mean, they live for the weekend and then they go do whatever they want. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to take a three-day weekend and, and go for a trip somewhere or whatever. You know, and we sit here and we say, no, my place is to be in God's house. And so, you know, I get Saturday myself and, and that's fine. But in the end, glorifying God is where, where our heart and our desire should be. And so to look on the world and say, oh, well, they have this and they have that. And, and, and what, are they, what are they paying for it? Um. Their, their liberty to have whatever they want right now uh, will be death and hell unless they come to a point of seeking Christ as their Savior. So the wicked husbandman in this story, um, as we look at this, are the scribes. They're the Pharisees. They're the high priests. You know, they... Again, like I said, they were responsible for teaching and training the nation of Israel. But all they did was they brought the nation of Israel into bondage, into works, into doing things so that you could gain uh, God's um, provision and care for you. You know, but they were, it was just pride. You know, and, and no wonder that John called them scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, and snakes, and vipers. And, you know, I mean, it's just like, man, those are some pretty harsh words. How do you expect them to listen to you if you're calling them that? But in the end, they weren't listening anyways. You know, John told them, you know, why are you guys here? You know, well, to be baptized. So show me meat for repentance. Show me proof that there's something changed in your life. But again, these men, they were manipulative. You know, so these, these religious people that, you, you know, that everybody's supposed to be listening to, all they were doing was taking, they were manipulating, and they were getting what they want. They were getting their benefit. You know, I mean, even when you think about it, they, you know, they paid Judas 30 pieces of silver just so he could betray Christ. And in the end, they didn't even want the money. When he went to give it back. It, you know, I mean, they had what they needed. Themselves. Their position. But in the end, these people in leadership killed prophets. You know, you read about... Nehemiah, you know, and Jeremiah, and all these, these prophets that were telling the truth had to bear punishment because these religious leaders that were put in their place uh, refused to allow it to happen. You know, if you go to Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 24 through 26, it talks about this. says in Nehemiah 9, 24 and 26. 
So the children went in and possessed the land that thou should thou subduest before them in the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gavest them their hands and their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they took strong cities and the fat of the land and possessed houses full of goods, wells digged, vineyards, olives, and fruit trees in abundance. So did they eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in an in thy great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs and slew thy prophets, which testified against them to turn them to thee. And they wrought great provocations. And that goes right along, going back to Luke chapter 20, um, with verses 10 through 12 and, and where we're at today. Verses 10 through 12 in Luke 20, it says, And at the season he sent a servant to the husbandmen, and that they should give him the fruit of the vineyard. And the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. So as we go through this, there's actually, you know, three different times that he sent um, these husbandmen to um, collect what was due, what rightfully belonged to the owner. And what did they do? They turned around and they beat him, sent him away. Beat him, sent him away. And then, you know, eventually they killed. So, again, a picture of that that happens in the New Testament time, you know, we would look at, at Paul, or not Paul, but at Stephen, Right? Here we are, we have these, these men that Stephen is preaching to. You know, and he says, You stick neck and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. Which the prophets have not your fathers persecuted. And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition, disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut in their heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand. And then he cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears and ran upon they stopped their ears and ran upon him in one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet whose name was Saul and they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying Lord Jesus receive my spirit so the you know i mean we have it happening in the Old Testament with the prophets. We have it, you know, here. We, we know the history behind so many of our Baptist forefathers that, you know, just because they refused to have the baptism of the church, because they believed that baptism came after faith in Jesus Christ and repentance then you got baptized. Many were killed. Many were persecuted. 
You know, it still happens today. You know, we can't even say, oh, well, that was something that happened in, in, in the 18th century. It still happens today. The challenge to me is that, you know, I fear the, the persecution of the tongue because I might say something that offends somebody. And so the challenge for you and I when it comes to, you know, are we going to be a prophet of God and proclaim the truth is I'm going to follow through with it when the Holy Spirit works on my heart and tells me, speak to that person. So in all of this, we see that uh, there's some divine mercy that takes place because in, in this parable, the owner sends somebody and they get beaten and sent back like, we're not giving you the money, man. So he sends another one. He gets beat and sent away. Sends another one. He gets beat and sent away. You know, and, and mercy in this is the fact that, you know, the owner, he was the rightful owner. He could have just went and taken care of it. He, at that point, he could have, you know, after the first one, be like, well, I'll show them. I'm the one that hired him in the first place. I'll go and clean house. But he wanted to give an opportunity for them to do what was right. And so we see mercy in that. You know, this kind of parallels, if you will, the mercy that God shows every day to the lost. Because God does call again and again. You know, and, and it's interesting because when I was, I was reading through this, and it says in verse 10, it says, And at the season he sent a servant. And so obviously in the parable he's talking about at the season of harvest. Right? But if we look at Galatians 4.4, 4, when Christ came, what's it say? It says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman under the law. And so drawing a parallel there, it, it, there was a time when the, when the owner says, I'm going to send people to harvest to go get what's due to me. And in verse 15 is when the owner of the vineyard sends his son. He's like, well, you know, I'll send my son. They'll reverence him, right? And no, what did these wicked men do? They, they, they worked in their mind. They're like, we'll kill him. We'll take everything. And then he won't have an heir, and it'll all be ours at this point. And the same thing happened with Christ. You know, he came. He preached the truth. Now, thankfully, he came because he had a plan, because you and I needed salvation, because you and I have a sin problem that need to be dealt with. It didn't take God by surprise that Christ died on the cross for our sins. Just putting that out there. But it was in the plan. But as he come, he was chastised. He was beaten. He was talking down to by the religious leaders. They tried to catch him time and time again in, in verbal traps and get him to say the wrong thing. Imagine trying to get God to say the wrong thing. 
It's kind of silly as the question, is there a stone big enough that God can't lift? That's the way I've always looked at it. It was like, you know, why did these guys think that they could sit there and just, you know, well, here, I'll ask you this question, and and you're going to answer it wrong, and then we say, ha, ha, we got you. No. Can't trick God. You know, 1 John 4.10 says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You can go to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 10 in the Old Testament. Again, where it talks about uh, He was despised and rejected of man. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. With his stripes we are healed. Verse 10, though, is probably the hardest one to really wrap a mind around. And that's when he says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. You know, and as I sit there and you look at this parable, and, you know, the father, it says that he's like, well, I'll send my son, maybe he will reverence him. You know, it, it makes me wonder when you sit there and read Isaiah chapter 53, 10, and he, he knew. He knew what the result of that, you know. So in the parable, I, 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 not that you have to believe what I believe, but it's one of those things that in, in my heart, I'm just like, you know, when I read him sit there and say, maybe they'll reverence my son, I, I firmly believe that he, he already knew what the result of that was going to be as far as that parable goes. You know, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's this same account of this parable. Some varying differences in them, but you got to remember that it is three different disciples recalling what the Lord was saying when he preached, when he gave that parable, but it's also what was in their heart and what they understood. But in all three of these accounts in these parab- in, the, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of the accounts, there was at least three times that the owner sent somebody. And again, like I said, he could have just gone wiped out the husbandman, took everything that was rightfully his, and just went along his way. But in mercy, he, here, I'll give you guys the opportunity to do what's right again. You know, and as parents, we do that. You know, this is what I want you to do. When you mess it up, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to talk about this, and then you're going to go do what's right. And sometimes... As parents, we show more mercy than we really need to, and, and the Board of Education needs to come to the seat of knowledge. But, uh, you know, the, the, the idea is our Lord, even now, even now, is given an opportunity to those who are in this room who have not accepted Christ as their Savior and King who have not come to that point of repentance, even now the Lord is given an opportunity to see the truth of the matter and come to Him. You know, Pastor Humphrey actually listed several different verses of mine today, but I'm going to go to the account of 
Felix in Acts chapter 24 and verse 25. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So, a couple of things in that, you know, that whole conversation with Paul and Felix, you know, Felix recognized Paul and having intelligence and knowing what he was talking about. Felix even believed at that point the truth of the matter. And I say that because it says Felix trembled. Why else would he tremble? If he did not recognize mentally that if I close my eyes in death and Christ is not in my life, I'm going to die and go to hell. Why else would he tremble? There's absolutely no reason for him to tremble except for the fact that he believed the truth. And then the second reason why I believe he felt that way is because he says, go thy way for this time. When I have convenient season, I'll call for thee. So he was affected in his heart even and knowing I need to do something about this. But I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to put this on a back burner. I have time. I have time. You know, when we look at the, the idea of eternity, what is 75 years? What's 75 years in regards to a thousand? Really? I have, I have known of young men before they were 20 years old that passed off into eternity. We're not guaranteed the next breath. As, as, again, as Pastor Humphrey was stepping all over me again earlier today, you know, when you step outside and you blow your breath, how long does it last? It's there, it's gone. Two seconds, three seconds, depending on how hot-headed you are. But, I mean, the idea is gone. You know, Christy and I were talking the other day, and it's like, we've been here 13 years? I didn't realize that. I thought it was more like eight or nine, but then pastor's been here for 10, so I, that should be a gauge for me, right? But, I mean, the point being is that our time is fleeting, our time is flying. Now is a time that we need to decide what we're going to do. Are we going to live for the Lord, or are we going to live for self? You know, and the, the fourth part of this chapter is, you know, it's titled Devastating Results. Well, the devastating results was, you know, the death. But then what happened after that was the owner of the vineyard come and took those husbandmen out. 
right? So one way that we could look at it is that when Paul comes onto the scene and preaching the gospel, you know, Paul's desire was still for the Jews that he would be able to go to them and preach them the truth and that they would be saved, right? But in the end, that, that opportunity kind of faded away and Paul was sent to the Gentiles. They resisted. They resisted the truth. They resisted the truth. They resisted the truth. Their hearts got hardened. It's like Pharaoh, right? You know, it says that Pharaoh's, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Really, it was just God hardened Pharaoh's heart by giving him truth. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. You know, he pushed it off. He pushed it off, pushed it off, pushed it off. How does a callus get built up? By tearing the skin, by it getting tender, and then it heals up, and then you do it again, and it gets tender, and it heals up, and you get calluses, right? And eventually, you know, I've known some farm workers that had some hands that I, I think you could probably hit them with a nail and it wouldn't hurt their hand any. They got calloused. They heard the truth, but they didn't want to deal with it. And so God said, okay, go to the Gentiles. And we see that in Acts 13, verse 46, when Paul and Barnabas, um, you know, they were preaching to the Jews, but they wouldn't listen and said, okay, we're going to go to the Gentiles. You're given the truth, you refuse to listen. It's kind of like mercy we were talking about earlier today. You know, God in His mercy is providing opportunities. He gives the truth. So, conclusion, wrap it up, put it together. What do we take to the bank with this? Well, as a child of God, I would say the application, the challenge, what am I going to take out of this and apply to my life is, am I acting like the Pharisees? Am I acting like the scribes, the chief priests, where, you know, I'm putting on a show, I'm, I'm looking pretty good. I'm doing whatever needs to be done, but then trying to live for, for self. Trying to manipulate so I get a benefit out of this. When in all reality, what did God ask us to do? Go, teach, preach, baptize. We're just supposed to be mouthpieces for God. We're just supposed to bear the truth. You know, we don't even have to be eloquent. Because again, God's word says it will not return void. If you know and understand John 3, 16, 17 and 18, you know, God so loved the world. Christ didn't come to condemn the world. But if you don't do anything with the fact that God loved 
us and sent his son for us, you're condemned. That's verse 18. That's three verses right there. We have to be mouthpieces. We have to bear the truth. You know, I, I, we were talking in, in, in prayer meeting this morning, and, you know, there are a lot of people that come here every Sunday that need to be saved. And they need to see something different in us as a child of God. You know, if it's, if it's not so serious that that's what is seen in our lives, then why is it going to, be, why is it going to matter to them? If it's not in our conversation then why is it going to matter to them? Because obviously, well, you say you're saved, but you act like I do. You do the same things I do. And so, obviously, it's really not that important. Food for thought. Are we acting like the religious leaders of that time? Are we resisting the Holy Spirit working in our life and working in others' lives? For the lost, well, Ephesians 5 and 6 says, Let no man deceive you in vain words. For because of these things, the wrath of God is upon the children of disobedience. My thing is, for the lost, don't let somebody tell you, oh, you got plenty of time. Don't let somebody tell you that it's about works. Because God's word says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. So the lost that are here today, that, that, that's my challenge for you. You know, don't let the religious Pharisees of life trick you into thinking that it's of a work, that it's of something you got to do, because it's not. You could give the very best that you have to the Lord, and it's still dung. It's still something that you would find in the backyard. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Precious Father, Lord, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are merciful. And God, as we um, close this day and uh, we go off to the Pioneer Home, Lord, the desire would be that truth would reign supreme in lives. Father, those that are here today that are lost, that they wouldn't put it off any longer. That they would see their need and that they would seek out a pastor or, or a parent that would give them biblical direction. Father, I just thank you again for the opportunity even to be in your house today 
to present your word. And Lord, I pray and ask that um, you were glorified in your house. Just thank you again. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.